Today's Animal Spirits is brought to you by Helios. To learn more, go to heliosdriven.com. Welcome to Animal Spirits, a show about markets, life, and investing. Join Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson as they talk about what they're reading, writing, and watching. Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson work for Ritholtz Wealth Management. All opinions expressed by Michael and Ben or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to Animal Spirits with Michael and Ben. I think some of the more minute arguments you hear in the financial advisor world that we live in have to do with business models and fees and all these differences and and how that's going to change going forward. I think people just would like to see change in this industry, especially young people. And I think one of the ways that's going to manifest itself is not so much through change in business models. I, I think that stuff is... Some of those predictions are probably a little too going too far. But I think the changes are going to come is that advisors are just going to have to offer more services. I think that means more technology, more offerings for their clients, which could be investment strategies or financial planning strategies. And I think that ties in nicely to our talk today with Helios, which offers a few outsourced services. So one is investments and one is more on the financial planning thing and estate planning side of things. And I think especially if you're a smaller up-and-coming advisor you're pretty much going to be forced to outsource because you probably don't have enough time or energy or expertise to do these things on your own, right? Yeah. So, so I think in the 90s, the 2000s, it was the advisor's job to wear every hat to be the CFO for, for a client. And that meant that they could be an expert. I'm using air quotes in, in estate planning and insurance and investment management and financial planning. And you can't be an expert on all of those, all of those things. So a lot of advisors are partnering well, with companies... What? Well, or back in the day, a lot of firms just didn't do that stuff. I think in the, back in the 90s, a lot of what you got was you picked mutual Asset funds and that was it. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And so now that I think we've made this really big shift this century to financial planning being front and center, I think a lot of advisors are trying to figure out how do I integrate that stuff since I'm not an expert. Yeah. So one of the things that Helios does for advisors and their clients is it provides it provides, I don't want to say simple estate planning because it's, or, or there are human beings involved. So I think Ben, one, Ben, you, you did this. So how, how does that work? You, you input your stuff. Well, we, we mentioned on our show a while ago that even neither of us had an estate plan and we got shamed for it pretty good by the listeners. And so I went through the Helios process, which you have to do with an advisor. And since we are an advisor firm, I got to go through the process. And yeah, it was very simple. It, it basically, they ask you a series of knockout questions to see if you're if your estate planning needs are more complex than what they offer. And they say, you know, 80% of people probably just need their simple estate planning solution. And then the 20% of people that have more arduous problems or complexities or whatever it is, they have to go to an expert or a lawyer or an advisor who does handle those compl- complexities. So it, it's basically just a way, I think, for advisors to have a conversation with their clients and also provide a service. Shamefully, I still haven't done this. So I'm going to hold myself accountable over the next few weeks, I will get this done. I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna use Helios for that, and uh, I will report back on how that process was. So, without any further ado, not to step on too much of the material, which we've already done, here is our conversation with Chris Shuba. He is the CEO and founder of Helios Quantitative Research. We are rejoined today, second appearance with Chris Shuba. 
Chris is the founder and CEO of Helios. Chris, thank you for coming back on the show today. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. All right. So today we're going to talk about estate planning. We're going to talk about asset management. Why don't we start here? So typically, advisors, when they're talking with their clients about estate planning, wills, trust, all those sort of things, we don't have that expertise in-house nine times out of 10. So we outsource this to expert. Helios is leveraging technology so that we don't have to do that anymore. So why don't we, I think that's probably a good place to start. I mean, if you think about the classic concept of estate planning, it's you go to an attorney, the attorney based on complexity is going to quote you a price. And that price is normally 2000 at the absolute bare bones minimum and probably three to sometimes 20 or $100,000 depending upon complexity. And that's generally been the route that estate plans got done. And so when an advisor would notice that, hey, my client really needs an estate plan, they would refer that business out. And so there was a gap there in terms of what advisors could actually do in-house where the technology solution could really come in and fill a gap, for lack of a better explanation. I realized last year that I was woefully unprepared for this, especially with three young children being the main breadwinner at the house. So I went through the Helios process for estate planning. And it was interesting because it went through all the knockout factors. And so maybe you can talk about that, who this is right for and who this is not right for. Because I liked how there was a few knockout factors right away that basically said, here's what you need to do to be part of this plan and we can do the estate plan for you. And if it's a little more complex, then you maybe need to go see an expert. So how you maybe can distinguish between that and who this is right for? Yeah, it's really a function of time. So at Helios, we are a team of estate planners, just like you would find locally. The question is, how much time and energy do you really want to put into an estate plan. And so I would say about 80% of all estate plans are like yours, Ben, where you have a married couple, you've got some kids, you want to leave equal shares to kids, and you just want control, things of that nature. And I don't know if that's exactly your experience, but that's the general 80%. I had a fairly simple, I didn't have a lot of moving parts or a lot of complexity. So mine was fairly simple. Exactly. But when you get into scenarios where mental health might be in question, because someone's 85 years old, or you get into a scenario where someone wants to disinherit a child, or leave $10 million to their dog. Whenever those types of scenarios come up is when we say, okay, look, this is gonna take a lot of time and unpacking that an advisor might not want to do because again, the time, and those are the ones that get knocked out and need to be worked out on a a local level with someone that can sit down for hours on end and work through it. Maybe 15 or 20% of all estate plans have some kind of a factor that really needs to be dissected locally. But the other 80% that are out there can be very streamlined, very efficient, and cost a heck of a lot less. And this is something that my wife had been harping on me for a while, saying, Ben, we need to have this done. We need to have this done. What is your plan? What if you die in a plane crash? Something like that, which is morbid to think about. But we have to think about these things, especially when you have a family. But the best thing for me, I thought, was A, it was very easy to go through. The process was pretty quick and painless. But B, it also brought up a lot of questions that we could talk about that we probably hadn't really discussed before. So it was like these talking points of stuff that we probably should have talked about that were never brought up because we didn't want to think about them or they're just out of sight, out of mind. Ben, let me ask you a question. Okay. When you went through this process with Helios, is it on the phone? Are you talking to somebody? Is it all on the computer? I did a quick little training session with Helios just to walk me through it. But then the whole process for estate planning was all done online. You answer some questions, you check some boxes. It was very easy and intuitive. And it was over pretty quickly too, actually. All right. So Chris, back to you. Is this only B2B? So are your clients advisors or are you going straight to the consumer as well? So our clients are all advisors. And so it's pretty 
painless to get together with us on that. So normally when an individual person hears about this, they go to their advisor and say, hey, you heard about Helios. Sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no. And the client says, yeah, I'd really like to get my estate plan done through them, create an account. And then it just flows through the advisor. So we put everything through the advisor. What if there are some complexities? Does a person get on the phone or is it completely like automated? So remember, what we're doing is we're gathering all the information using technology. And then that technology goes to our estate planners on the back end to review every single plan. So we're involved in every one of them. And if there are some weird things that aren't knockouts, but they're just things that we want clarity on, then our team gets on the phone and says, okay, what are you really trying to do here to make sure the estate plan matches up with what the client's looking for? So you'd be surprised that just an estate plan for 80% of folks is an incredibly basic set of decisions that are very easy for people to make. And technology can walk you through that. Things like, what are you going to do with your record collection? Those are things that you keep on a list outside of the estate plan that accompanies it. You can stick it with it, but it doesn't have to be part of the, who's going to be the guardian of my kids if my wife and I happen to go down in a plane crash, like you said, Ben. So those are questions that get documented and become part of your legal document once it becomes legal through a notarized signature. But the rest of it, I mean, it's surprising how basic it is, really. I mean, that's the shocking part. What stage in life do most people come to do estate planning and what stage in life should they? Is it just as simple as when you have a family or when you have some assets that you want to make sure are taken care of when you die? What is the process like for those checkpoints where when people should be doing this? In general, it's when you have kids. So the moment you have kids and you want to make sure that they're provided for, that's the biggest one. No brainer instantly at that point. The other point would be if you don't have kids, but you do have a substantial amount of assets and you want to control where they go upon your death. So the basic financial advisor approach is going to be the moment you have children, now is when you want an estate plan. And like I said, a lot of people have in their mind that estate plans are big, complex, expensive things. They're just, they're just not. The industry around estate planning has done a very good job of making it feel that way. Though. So if we have an annual spirits estate plan, Michael and I could name who our future co-host is going to be should Correct. we just die. Correct. Right, Michael? Yeah. All right. I'll think about that one. <laughs> I want to know who your leading contenders are. That'd be a good topic right now. I don't know. Uh, it's a good question. I can fill <laughs> Chris, so when I think about estate planning, I think about a will and maybe some trusts. Is there anything else that people do when they go through this process or are those two the biggies? And is it primarily just a will? Like, Talk about the meat of an estate plan. There's really two types of estate plans. There's a will-based and there's a trust-based, and we do both of them. But in general, there's some basic parts. So there's the trust slash will, which basically says, here are my assets and here's where they're going and who gets them. And then there is the powers of attorney that come into play for not only the normal estate-related stuff, but also things like medical decisions. So those all get taken care of as well. So you're incapacitated. Someone has the right to make decisions for you and so on and so forth. Let me just pause there for one sec. So when somebody is deciding who their power of attorney is, I guess it's obviously a close family member. Is it common practice to let the person know, hey, I created a will and just FYI, are you cool with this? Like, How does that work? That's the third piece, which is guardians of minor children. If you're going to say, hey, if my wife and I, if something happens to us and my kids are here, who are going to be the guardians? And you would definitely want to have a conversation with them in advance. It happens plenty of times where people don't. And then surprise, you know, you've been, you know, gifted these kids. But in general, it's a family conversation. Like to Ben's point, it's, these are really great conversations to have, especially if you have young kids. I misspoke. I didn't mean the power of attorney. What I meant was the executor of the state, like oh, the sure. person that actually is responsible. Like, is that a conversation that you have with somebody? Like, how big of a lift is that? 
Yeah, I think that any person named in any of the documents for any reason, you really should have a conversation with them, whether it's going to be the person who is in charge of the estate once the second spouse has passed, whether it's guardians of minor kids, whether it's people making health care. You should always have those conversations with those people because they might not want to do that. But the vast majority of estates are basic enough where there isn't a lot of fear and trepidation on the other end of things. But absolutely, yeah, have a conversation and they don't have to agree to it. You can name them. Michael, you can give me your NFTs when you pass, okay? <laughs> no, my NFTs, they're staying on the blockchain. Sorry, Ben. <laughs> All right. I'm doing it for the culture. So just at a very basic level, what sort of accounts need beneficiaries? What goes straight to next? If can, can you talk about some of the stuff that's like very low-hanging fruit that people should be doing that they might not be aware of? So we're going to potentially get out of my area of expertise here, and I need to get my estate planners in here on terms of nuances of accounts. But I believe almost every type of account that you create, you can name beneficiaries on. And you can handle account by account level things without an estate plan, theoretically, through naming direct beneficiaries of like a life insurance policy or an an RA and things of that nature. If you don't do any of that, there's going to be, of course, the normal state by state procedure. Some of those are going to be everything goes on to the spouse. Some of it have to go through at least a minor level of kind of a court process through it probate. But the beautiful part about an estate plan is it just knocks out everything all at one time. So instead of worrying about this account or that account, this, 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 the estate plan can come in and create an overarching kind of umbrella across everything related to the estate. So including houses and cars and everything like that. So just simpler. Are you always shocked when we see celebrities with gigantic size estates that just never had their financial house in order? Not shocked at all because I mean, prior to what Helios is really doing, it was such a pain in the butt. I mean, Ben, why did it take you so long? I mean, it's either number one, it's a lot of money. Number two, it's one more thing that has to get done, right? I got to go. I have to have these meetings. I have to take this paperwork. I have to fill it out to go back for more meetings. The thing takes three months to draft. And then also, it's not a topic people really want to talk about in the weird way. Even though you're knocking something off your to-do list, it's, it's depressing. Shame on me. I still haven't done it. Yeah. I really need to do it. And I do plan on using Helios to get awesome. it done. Yeah, no, it's one of those things where it's just never a good time. And that's one of the reasons why we drive through financial advisors, because once the advisor is kind of tasked with getting that done for the client as part of their financial planning process, now you have someone in the back of your mind going, hey, let's get this done. Let's get this done. Let's get this done. Let's get this done. And shockingly, it does. But no, I mean, there are tragic stories out there. People that have worked their whole lives to build something that has been completely annihilated because they didn't do this one simple step. And we love being a service that makes a difference in people's lives for sure. Well, the cool thing about it as from the advisor side of things is you can take it for a spin and do your own estate plan before you then allow clients to come through and do it on their end. So that's pretty cool too. So maybe we can move on now to, you kind of said, this isn't your area of expertise, but the sort of in-source CIO, that's probably more your bread and butter. So I'm curious you guys do a whole host of services for advisors where you're trying to be this outsourced CIO and it's more than just asset management. You have a bunch of research and quantitative models and you help with presentations and all this stuff. Who are the advisors that come to you looking for this help? Is it mostly solo practitioners? Is it companies that reach a certain point where they're just advisors and don't have the investment expertise? Who's coming to you for this insourced CIO? Who is that advisor that you're looking for? It honestly runs the gamut of how many, I mean, we have advisors we support that manage 20 million in assets. We have teams we support that manage multiple, multiple, multiple billions in assets. So it really just depends upon the business model that the advisor is trying to drive. We've done all the research every way from Sunday and trying to build a giant empire of employees and everything out of an advisory, whether you're small or large, 
is a lot of business risk. It costs a lot of money relative to something like Helios, but everyone has their preferred way of doing business. So really run the gamut. I would say our typical advisor is usually a team of two, three, four advisors with a location or two. So we tend to settle into that. Like I said, we work with everyone. Our average client probably has 100 to 400 million in assets that they manage right in that window where they're not small, but yet they're not a multi-state gigantic 20 advisor practice. And we certainly have those, but our bread and butter tends to be that 100 to 400, I would say. So Chris, what are you doing for these people? Because building a portfolio has become relatively efficient these days, just in terms of technological solutions that even the custodians are providing on the back end. So what are you providing for advisors that they're not able to do on their own? Yeah. I mean, I think that with enough get up and go, advisors can really deliver anything they want to. The question is, what's their competitive advantage? And advisors are facing one big problem that hasn't gone away, and that's fee compression. This idea of why am I paying you what I'm paying you? And the more and more that advisors keep just doing what their custodians give them or just what their broker dealers give them or buy, hold, rebalance, the harder and harder it is to justify why they're making 1% when the person down the street who's up and coming in this business is going to charge them something less and so on and so forth down the line. So advisors come to us because we knock off a lot of things they need to do. We do their holdings level research. We do all of our model creation and analysis. We do their portfolio construction and analysis through our technology. We write their client emails, build their presentations, everything gets white labeled through their practice. We do their compliance analytics for all their holdings, models, portfolios. We train their staff and their ongoing staff. So all the things that a CIO would do, they can outsource to us to reduce that business risk of hiring that in-house and then having that person leave. And at the same point in time, creating an ability to focus on your strengths and not focus on all this back-end stuff that needs to get done while having a very unique story that helps create that value that reduces decompression. So we love, love, love this end of the business, but there really are two different advisors in my book. The first is just someone who wants to check the box and say, oh yeah, we have asset management and hopefully it works out. And then we have those advisors that want to differentiate themselves across every area of their practice. And we notice that those are the very growth oriented advisors that are growing through acquisition and organically very well. And those are the types of advisors we tend to support. Are you doing the execution as well? Or is it just the strategy? What about implementation? Yeah, so we deliver the research all the way down to the ticker and percentage. But one of the decisions we made a long time ago is we didn't want to get caught up in, for lack of a better word, the red tape minutiae that exists in our business. So if you have a solution and you want to give it to people, there's all these barriers. Am I allowed to be on this platform? Am I allowed to be on that platform? What do I got to pay? How do I got to do it? We figured out that if we just deliver the research down to that level and harness the existing trading platform that's there, just like any other advisor created model, that we could essentially bypass all of the industry red tape. So basically what our one of our value prop is, is the advisor maintains total control. We get them all the way down to ticker and percentage. They enter that information into their trading platform and hit the trade button. So they're managing execution, but they save hundreds of thousands of dollars a year doing that. And that's part of why Helios comes in. Not only are we very good at what we do, but we're a fraction of the cost that a TAMP or in many cases, even broker-dealer solutions would be for that advisor. I'm curious. So I think one of the hardest things to do when you get a client in the door is you're selling yourself and you're practicing talk about differentiating. How do you help on the presentation side of things? So when you have an advisor who wants to sell their practice and they sell their investment management, how do you help out on that presentation aspect? Are you just giving slides? Are you helping coach them on what to say? How does that work? Because I'm curious how you help people tell their story. A little bit of everything. So number one, yeah, we built multiple presentations that are all white-labeled to the advisor. 
what is your value prop, you versus other advisors. We have lots of different resources that the advisors will use at the presentation level. Also, we're reporting. So we have all the analytics that goes into a model or a portfolio's construction. And one of the really cool things about being completely quantitative is we can take any combination of models, accounts, and so on and so forth, and essentially backtest that data. Why is that important? Well, backtesting helps understand the statistical validity of a set of decisions. And you can draw a scatter plot and say, okay, well, according to this backtest, 70% of the time we're going to be in an excess return position, 30% of the time we're not going to be. 15% of the time we're going to do this, 20% of the time we're going to do this. And you can set expectations over time of what has happened over time in order to create a sense of awareness and comfort, if you will, with the model that's been designed. So that when someone sees a back test and they say, oh, this thing looks great, it goes parabolic, it's so much better than the benchmark, what people think is that it has to be perfect. They can never have a bad year. And what you'll find through our analytics is it says, no, we can have a really nice trading strategy here, but there's going to be good years and bad years. And here's how much time we expect based upon the statistics to spend in each period of time. And what we found is that when advisors can have that conversation or what we call a circle of confidence conversation, not only are clients much more suited with their head on straight at the beginning of a relationship, but then as time goes on, year after year after year, and you have these service meetings, you can plot inside that scatter plot where the last year has been. And through good years and bad years, you can say, yep, it's doing what it's supposed to do. And let's move on with the conversation, creating a lot more referrals and higher client retention at that fee range, which is really fun to do. But not every advisor is going to break that type of analysis out for a client, but should it need to be done, it's all the materials that we generate as well. So. Chris, can we talk about some of the strategies that you're able to implement? And I'll throw out a few and you could tell me what you guys do, what you don't do. Is it ETFs only or do you do stocks as well? Do you do any technical analysis, anything like some simple trend following maybe? What about direct indexing and or ESG solutions? Like, What type of actual strategies are you able to implement on behalf of the advisors? Let me back up a little bit because one of the things that's very unique about Helios is that we're completely customizable solution. And that's weird to say in our space. So most advisors are used to hearing, this is our mutual fund, take it or leave it. This is our SMA, take it or leave it. This is our model, take it or leave it. And so advisors within gift fact sheets decide if they like the risk and return and buy it. But at Helios, everything is a series of algorithms or what we call elements. So if I were to take the periodic table of elements, and I would say, okay, well, I'm going to take hydrogen and oxygen, I'm going to make water. So I combine things to make something more useful. It's exactly how Helios works. So we have four algorithms or elements that determine the level of equity or fixed income or whatever in a portfolio. Those are trend, contrarian, economics, and volatility. Those will determine, okay, based upon a complex economic calculation or based upon a complex trend calculation, how much equity exposure, as an example, should we have? That's one set of elements or algorithms that can be used on a standalone basis or combined together inside a model. We also have a series of style elements, which determine the holding strategy, like you mentioned. Now, our holdings can be filled out of anything. So ETFs, mutual funds, individual stocks. And normally when we integrate with an advisor, we start with what they have. We do all the analytics on the current holdings inside their practice because we want to mitigate as many cap gains as possible moving to the new models. So anything they have that's working really well, we want to keep that. That's a totally detailed conversation from there. But essentially, once you've decided what algorithms will determine your level elements, then the style elements can be brought in. Do you want to have more of a passive approach? Do you want to have something that rotates between major asset classes, such as large versus small or growth versus value? Or do you want to have a more active plus approach to your assets or your holdings where you're looking at different sectors or different countries? So we do all of that. And we've built a suite of ready-to-go models for advisors that don't want to get to that level. 
But for the advisors that do want to customize and really dial in a series of models directly to their practice, Helios is capable of doing that as well. So we're a bit of a unique animal in our world because we don't just say to folks, here's what we have, take it or leave it. The math can be used in so many ways. And the example of that is ESG. As an example, you might say, I want one model with holdings that are not ESG, but I want the exact same model where the holdings are fully ESG. And we support all of that as well. So, or biblical or any other type of thematic holding set that's needed. The way we think about a model is it's a mannequin and the style such as ESG or biblical or total return is the clothing. And you can just put whatever clothing you want on that mannequin, but the framework stays the same. And that's the underlying mathematics of the model. So long-winded answer, but we do a lot. That's our job as an in-source CIO is to be able to go where the advisor needs us. Once you have a model in place, and obviously it sounds like a lot of it is driven by the sort of philosophy of the underlying advisor in the first place. They tell you what their philosophy is and you try to help fill it out based on using some of your models. How often are advisors actually changing? So if they come to you and say, hey, we want to add this element to the portfolio, show us what it did at the back test. Does that happen a lot? Or do you find that advisors are pretty static with the models that they're holding? Yeah. So during the setup, during our implementation, which is fully customized to the advisor, we do get into a lot of that, right? About 50% say, hey, Helios, you're the expert. We want to use your ready-to-go solutions. Let's go. Others really dig in and want to create their own combinations. Once they set them, though, those tend to persist for a while. And really the only time that they change is when the advisor just kind of evolves into a little bit of a different way of thinking over time and they bring us back in and we work with them on that. Or we get into something like a crisis. So if you have an algorithm that's half economics and half trend, and all of a sudden we hit 2020, and all of a sudden the economic data is kind of corrupted by a government shutdown, right? It's no longer pure data anymore. Well, those advisors could say, well, you know what? I really don't want half my calculation to be economics anymore. I want to turn that down to 10% or 25%. I want to remove economics altogether and just do trend until we pass this crisis. So Helios represents pretty much the only customizable upfront and then flexible as things change over time model ecosystem really that's available out there. And so most of the time they stick around for a while, models don't change for years, but if something acute happens, then you do see advisors making some adjustments, but it depends. Hey, Chris, this sounds like a lot of value that you provide. And it also sounds like a lot of work upfront, getting comfortable, vetting, education, ongoing support, et cetera. What is the initial lift for advisors that are trying to get on your platform? And part two of that question is when they work with Helios, is that they work with Helios and that's what they do? Or can that be just for one part of their solution? Yeah. So the second part is, is that advisors that work with us, we tend to have a heavy influence on their practice, but yeah, of course they have other relationships with other strategies. They might have a non-traded REIT company they're working with, and they might do some annuity business over here. So Helios is never 100% of someone's entire book. We do tend to become a pretty heavy influence because we're a flat fee. And so people want to leverage as much as they possibly can. But all the heavy lifting for implementation is really done on Helios's end. Sure, there's a little bit of a get to know you process. The due diligence process we put people through up front is very clean. It only takes between an hour. And if you really want to dig in, maybe four hours. But the upfront due diligence is pretty clean. Once we begin working with the team, we take in a lot of information about them. We do all the analytics behind the scenes. We present them with, based upon what we know and what you've told us, here's what your new model ecosystem would look like. Here's all the data on it. Approve or tweak. Once it's approved, it all gets put on the system and we go. So there is a learning curve. It definitely is. But generally within a couple of weeks, they're up and running. And within, let's just say six weeks, it's like business as usual. So 
certainly some heavy lifting up front, but we take care of the vast majority of it for the advisor. What do you find is the greatest reason that advisors are coming to you for? Is it because they are just more focused on financial planning and that's kind of the world they came up in, their CFPs, and that's what they just want to focus their time and energy on and they don't have the investment background? Is that the biggest part of it? Or is it more that they're just trying to be more efficient and save time and don't want to have to hire more people to do this part of their planning? Yeah, you hit the two big ones and it depends upon where the advisor is in their life cycle. So advisors that are one or two folks generally come to us because they want to focus on their strengths. They want to grow their practice and they want to spend as much time as possible over there. They don't want to worry about building and tracking models and reviewing holdings and doing all of the compliance documentation to justify their decisions. They need that part taken care of. And frankly, we're a lot less expensive than hiring someone in house would be. So it's a very cost efficient move for an up and coming team to focus on what they do best. Generally speaking, though, as teams get bigger, then it becomes a lot more about scale and efficiency in business. They don't want to be left in a lurch by hiring someone who then leaves for more money and takes their models with them. They want their staff to have a lot less prep and post time. They want to make sure errors go down. They want the economics of the business to improve. So different advisors really hone in on us in different ways, but all of them want a competitive advantage. All of them want to maintain their fees. All of them want to help their advisors grow through having a differentiated story. And you really just aren't going to get that if you're selling the same old asset management to a prospect. Who are you talking to? Are you talking to the advisor, their admin, the chief investment officer? Who are you having these conversations with? It's either the advisor or their CIO, if they have one. So generally, we are dealing with the lead advisor most times because this is equally a capability decision as much as it is an economic and business decision for a business owner. It really depends upon the size of the practice. But generally speaking, within the first conversation or two, we're dealing directly with the lead advisor or other decision makers in the practice. How many advisors or RAs are you currently working with? I don't know how many teams, but somewhere between 800 and 1,000 advisors we support right now. Oh, wow. Candidly, that's a lot more than I would have guessed. <laughs> well, that's an enormous amount, given that there's only like reportedly like 11,000 in the country or something like that. Our data has quite a bit more than that. Okay. We're very specific about what we do and we're very passionate about it. And for those advisors that hear our story and it resonates with them, it's very rarely we don't come to a partnership. We love our space. How are you finding these advisors? Are they coming to you? Is it referral based? How do they find you in the first place? Well, we go on these podcasts from time to time. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of word of mouth. Just started doing a little bit of marketing here and there with ramping up with some value-add webinars and whatnot, but that's on my agenda for the remainder of this year is to do a little bit better on demand gen, but word of mouth is mostly the the way we travel right now. Chris, what does this cost the advisors? I imagine that the advisors are paying for this? Correct. Yeah. So normally we support mostly RIAs and independents that are business owners, if you will. We do support teams that are non-business owners, but generally those are the larger teams that want to externally pay for something like Helios. We charge by advisor and location. So as you may not know, we're what's known as a limited availability firm. We work with a specific number of advisors per population density. And once we're full, we're full. And we do that to create a little bit of a bubble around our advisors. So they're not tripping over other advisors with a similar story. So it's one of the unique things about us. Interesting. I don't think I've ever heard that before. Once you fill up your quota in Minneapolis or something, you're basically, all right, we're done. We've hit enough advisors. We're not going to oversaturate it so everyone has the same story. Correct. Even though everything we do is generally white labeled and advisors can create their own algorithms, there's still a rhyming to all of that. And we want to make sure that the advisors that we really identify with, it's not like we give them exclusive territories, but we definitely are mindful about the percentage of advisors per population area. Chris, what did we not get to that you were hoping to? 
Oh man, I can talk about this stuff all day because you can tell I'm a little long-winded on it. No, I think we hit the major points. I mean, I think that the number one thing that I would say is, is that if you haven't explored an outsourced CIO, the number one thing we hear every day, all day long, which frustrates me to no end is, well, holy cow, I never knew something like you guys existed. And my response is, well, we've been emailing you for three years. You know what I mean? So <laughs> the hardest part of our business is just getting people to stop for a moment and say, maybe I should explore this. Maybe I should just take an hour out of my day, set a time with Helios, talk about this stuff. Because even though advisors are very rarely ever going to say, the reason a client works with me is my asset management, it's a critical part of the business. And it's an important part of the revenue stream for advisors. And to just bury our heads and either just do buy, hold, or balance or make stuff up in-house or go to the same old solutions that are available for free to thousands and thousands and thousands of other advisors, that might not make sense anymore. And so I would like to get over that hump. That's my main goal with calls like today is just if people know we exist, that's going to make me feel good. That's my goal. Okay. Where can we send people to find more? Heliosdriven.com would be a great spot. I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes and all that kind of stuff, but check us out on the website, shoot us an email. We are very fast to respond. One of the reasons we've really enjoyed, aside from the benefits of all the estate planning we talked about before, is that it allows us to create relationships with advisors that really haven't even been looking over on the asset management world and vice versa. And so by having a lot of different ways we support advisors, you know, it also generates. So if you go to heliosdriven.com, you can get to our estate planning, you can get to the asset management. It's all under that one banner and you can kind of dig into where you want to go from there. Perfect. Chris, thank you so much for coming on today. We appreciate you taking the time. No, thank you. It was good to do this. And Hopefully one day we'll do this live. One day when we're all back in the offices, we'll sit at a table with a cocktail. Sounds good to me. All right. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Helios. Go to heliosdriven.com to learn more.